I had my identity crisis back in 2003, I think, because I did not know if I was Adriano Silva Moraes, the kid from Brazil that wrote Bulls, or if I became Adriano Moraes, the bull rider. You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, Pop the billy on or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Welcome back to the Central Station podcast. We're really excited to bring you something a bit different today. It's not a story directly related to cattle stations, but there are some connections and we felt it was a story worth telling. In September 2019, the three-time PBL world champion Adriano Marias travelled from his home country in Brazil all the way to Broome in the West Kimberley region of Western Australia. He travelled over to teach at three bull riding clinics hosted by an organisation called Saltwater Country. Saltwater Country is committed to using a strength-based approach to create a rite of passage for Aboriginal people to train, work and compete together. They're especially committed to helping their young people be their best selves in a culturally appropriate and relevant way on their terms. They're working towards providing direct training and employment opportunities, as well as building content for the Saltwater Academy, including partnerships for equine assisted learning and diversionary programs for disengaged community members. They're giving at-risk youth an alternative way of being involved in life, learning skills on country and becoming re-engaged in the world around them. The Adriano Marais Bull Riding Clinics were the inaugural event in the Saltwater Academy, and I was a part of the team organising the clinics, camp draft and rodeo, which were all held in September 2019. So that's how I fit into this story. Now, it's not every day you get to sit down with a three-time world champion and pick their brains. I was incredibly lucky in that during the week that Adriano was in Broome, I ended up being his chauffeur and tour guide, and I got to spend a fair amount of time with him. As I got to know him, I knew I wanted to do a podcast episode with him because so often with athletes, the conversation just resolves around their careers. But I knew Adriano had so much more to share than just his bull riding achievements. Now, it wasn't until the day after recording this that Adriano actually got to go out and visit a cattle station, so we don't talk about that in this episode. Um, but I do want to let you know that he did end up going out to Roebuck Plains Station, which is just outside of Broome, um, and that's in, operated by the Indigenous Land and Sea Corporation. And he also spent a couple of days out at Meter Station, which is out by Derby, um, and that's owned by Jumbuck Pastoral. And you can actually um, find some stories written by Meter on our website. So Adriano did get to spend a couple of days out on real working cattle stations, and he absolutely loved it. Um, he said he wants to come back with his whole family and go out on stations with them. So that was pretty cool. Um, although not, not surprising though, because we all love cattle stations. So of course he was going to love it. Anyway, so I hope you enjoy listening to Adriana's story. But first, here's a quick word about our podcast sponsor. Designed for Australia's harsh and demanding conditions, Pioneer water tanks are manufactured using strong and durable Fully recyclable Australian zinc alum or Calibon steel. Their range of tanks are available from 12,000 to 250,000 litres in the standard range or can be custom built up to 2.6 million litres. To protect your valuable water assets and access it where and when you need it, insist on Pioneer Water Tanks. 
available Australia-wide. Let's start off from the beginning. Can you tell me about your childhood and what it was like growing up? I was born and raised at the ranch and uh, just had a pretty normal kid's life, uh, ranch kid's life in Brazil. Uh, just riding horses and playing with a bunch of different kind of animals from cats, goats, dogs, everything. And uh, just pretty much normal life for us. But you grew up quite poor, didn't you? Yes, I was very, very poor. Born on a shack, dirt floor, no running water, no electricity. Uh, very, very, very poor. How did growing up poor affect your outlook on life? And do you think the trajectory of your life? Well, when uh, I wasn't that poor my entire childhood, uh, my dad found better jobs later on when I was maybe seven or eight. So then, then things changed. You know, I was born very, very poor. But uh, when I was like seven or eight, yeah, my dad had a car to drive and could take us to the stores and buy food. So it wasn't that poor. But uh, my dad doesn't have any, any diploma. So his position as a ranch manager or farm manager was coming to an end due to the necessity of having a academical education about the business. So my dad would be like three, four years in one ranch and they would replace him by a younger guy with diploma and they would bring that guy in and my dad would teach, well, would train that guy to replace himself. And then he would be fired after that and sometimes he would go without his line of work for maybe six months, eight months. And during that time, we needed to go uh, work back on the fields. So then we went back and being very, very poor, broke again. And uh, work on the fields and the farms, picking up peanuts, uh, whatever, uh, tomatoes, whatever was there before machinery. That's 40 years or more than 40 years ago. In Brazil, wasn't a lot of machinery available. Everything was done by hand. And so it was in and out of poverty. Well, extreme poverty, always been poor, but extreme poverty, in and out of poverty my entire childhood. So when you were in extreme poverty, did you have food to eat every day? Uh, we barely. We barely. My mom was very creative. Well, she's Italian. She's a good cook. And uh, we didn't have much. We only have rice and uh, tomatoes and, of course, salt and seasonings, you know, but cheap stuff. Mm -hmm. And and she would cook uh, different ways That's the tomato with just rice and uh, in different ways every day, which was good enough for us. But uh, the food tastes so good because my mom, she always cooks with love. And she has the best seasoning. And I don't ever recall hating that food. That's only only food we had for like months. And I don't remember having one day that I said, this is not good food. I'm sick of it. No, it was always very flavorful. We were always full of love. And, uh, and I have good memories of those lean times. When you, if you started off very poor and that was all you knew, 
and then your dad got a better job and so you were a little bit less poor but then you said every now and then you would go back to the extreme poverty once you had had an experience of not being as poor and then you had to go back to the extreme poverty was that very difficult it wasn't it wasn't very difficult for me because i mean we know that life's not easy mm-hmm. uh i learned that from my parents and they uh faced challenges head on you know they didn't cry about it they just um, you know if you had to go to the fields and pick up vegetables to survive we would do it you know and when my dad had a truck to drive and he was a big shot in the big ranch you know that was fine that was good but when we didn't have it life goes on and we learned that i learned that from from a very early age that doesn't matter what what happens you need to never give up persevere push through it and everything changes in life is there anything that your parents would say in those situations no, like do they have they, any advice no, they or? didn't say my parents didn't say anything throughout those situations we just lived through yeah. you know just just that's way it is they never they never told us what was going on i mean just like now i got to go work at fields okay now i found a job and uh, and that was pretty normal i mean just being poor in brazil we we, we do whatever it takes And how did you get into bull riding? When I got into bull riding was like good times. My dad was managing three ranches or farm and ranch operation or you know wasn't a station because it was smaller than the oil stations here. But we had like 1500 head of cattle and uh almost a half a million uh coffee trees. So it was a big coffee farm and and cattle operation and uh he was making decent amount of money nothing to save money but enough to give us a pretty comfortable life and i was already working too so i was making money working at the ranch my brother older brother was making money working at the, at the ranch my dad too so it wasn't wasn't that bad time uh I had car to drive you know and and uh and one day i was working after work the whole week on the field on the coffee fields a driving tractor cleaning up uh 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 the fields my friend one of my friends came to me and said let's go watch a rodeo so okay let's go and he said well but we're going to get on i was like oh heck all right why not so he got there and i entered bronc riding brazilian style i can't describe it you need to watch to see it you know it's weird different and bull riding and i did very good on my bull riding i rode out eight seconds i rode seven seconds i did not know there was a rule of eight seconds and I haven't watching rodeos before and I just got on that that big bull and rode it for seven seconds and dismount and they said no score I got a little upset because you know I rode good but I did not know I had to stay eight seconds and I didn't rode I didn't ride well that bronc and uh, I think that's why I, I stayed with bull riding no I rode bronx later on I rode, I rode pretty good like for two years I rode bronx Brazilian style and bulls and uh and I like I like the experience I like the situation and then uh some guys put together a semi professional circuit in my area like 10 15 rodeos and this same friend got us hooked up with that company that was producing that event and invited us for like three or four events I think and uh I went to my first event and it was much better bulls but I rode pretty decent I rode Thursday 
it was all progressive rounds. And I think we started with like 50 guys end up uh, 10 semifinals of 10 Sunday and then finals of only five ride, riders. And I made up to the semifinals. So I rode pretty good three days. And the second event that I went, I ended up winning second. And that second gave me nine times more money than working a month hard at the ranch. And I was there being cool with the other cowboys for four days because rodeos in Brazil is not like one rodeo uh, each day. It's like you go and stay one rodeo a week. It lasts four to five days, every single rodeo. And it's all based on uh, progressive rounds, you know, 40 guys, then 20 guys, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so I, 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 didn't, I didn't do hard work like ranch or farming or whatever for four days and end up in... And end up making money. How old were you when you rode that first bull? Uh, I believe I was like something in between 15 and 16. And how old were you when you first went to the USA? I was 22, yeah, 22 years old back in 1992. Just to have an experience because in 1992, Mr. Charlie Sampson, uh, which is a rodeo champion bull rider back in 1982, he came to Brazil to uh, do a bull riding clinic, and I, uh, I attempted the clinic, and I won the rodeo because I was already riding everything. I was already Brazilian champion, 1991 Brazilian champion. But I want to go to the school because it's always something to learn, always something to learn, or to have a confirmation of things that I was doing, if I had anything that I was doing right, and I, would, I could see that was right. And fix what was wrong. So I went to this his uh, bull riding clinic, and but and he was also judging the bull riding at night, and uh, was one of the biggest bull riding in Brazil at the time. And I rode that bull, and 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 Mr. Serge Sampson said that I that I rode well, that I could make it in in America. And I decide, my wife and I decide to go to America just to watch the NFR and go to a few rodeos because that's before PBR era. And we went to the PBR to the PRCA finals. We watched the watched the the finals, and I rode six, I believe, pro rodeos, and two or three bull ridings, which was open back then. But all the top guys were there from Tough Ty. I mean, all the top guys were there, and they were pretty much uh, rehearsing to become PBR, because PBR was already on paper. They had everything set uh, set up already the dates, the sponsorship, TV, but they were just practicing that last year before they uh, put together a full uh, championship. And uh, so I went to some events. And after Tucson, Arizona, which was at the time a 76-year-old rodeo, big rodeo, and I ended up winning that rodeo with all the, all the big guys there. And I went home and everybody asked me why, because I said, well, I want to make money. Well, I just did well, but I was making much more money in Brazil at the time than the Cowboys without PBR because there was no PBR. You know that the Cowboys were making in America, so it wasn't worth financially staying in America. So we were there for like three months, went back home for good. and But then PBR got together, as I told you guys, and uh, they invited me back for 1994 
season. So they found me a sponsor, bought me a car. They facilitate my life, rent me a house, bought me furniture, and there I went and stayed. That must have been a pretty massive opportunity for you. Yeah, it was a big, big opportunity, but, well, I don't see it as just opportunity. I see, like, result of my hard work. Because mm -hmm. I was in Brazil, and I was already Brazilian champion, and I was making much more money than those guys were making in America. So they put PBR together, and they want me to go. I said, I'm not going. I'm making more money here. And they had to convince me that PBR was going to help, and they was going to be good for me, so I could put together three circuits. Uh, PRCA, because it's still very important at the time. Uh, Bull Riders Only, which was like PBR, almost like PBR, but didn't belong to the riders, and also PBR. And so I went to America. I did very well at PRCA my first year. I won the PBR title and won the NFR title and ended up second at Bull Riders Only. And I made the exact same money I was making in Brazil, riding one circuit only. But everything was so organized and everything was so new and everything was so cool. I love America that I decided to stay. So how long did you end up riding in America for? I rode in America from 1994. Well, because the first PBR event was in December of 93, but we count 94. So uh, from 94 up to 98 and then I took one year off. I went back to Brazil. But then I went back in 2000 and I quit bull riding in 2008. So add, I don't know how many years. What were the most memorable wins for you while you were in the States? Well, I think it started back in Brazil when uh, in 1988, I rode that, that small semi-pro rodeo and I made nine times more than I was making uh, working at the ranch. So... That's a very important and memorable for me. And also, all my great titles in America, like the very first year, I won. I went to Calgary in 1994, and I won the title there. Uh, I went to the NFR, I rode all 10 bulls, and I won the title there. I went to the PBR finals, I won. I rode all my bulls, and I won uh, the title at PBR. I, won, I went to the BRO finals, I rode every single bull and I end up second. So all those first uh, big achievements are very memorable, but also my first, second, third uh, titles in America too, world yeah. titles. So you ended up win winning the PBR world? Not the finals. Not the finals, Not yeah, the, the world, finals. the yeah. title. Yeah, the title, yes. I end up uh, three times. Yeah, and so the title is, is a result of riding consistently well throughout the season and, and staying in the top yeah, Top back places. then. Yeah, back yeah. then we had a a point system that I think was more just, like a consistency, more than just few rounds. You know, now the PBR changed the rules where rounds wins the events, not not average, not aggregated points. Mm. I don't agree, but that's the way it is. Uh, yeah, so uh, it was, I believe, at my era, and. The other great riders to era that uh, the most consistent would pretty much always win. And so, after so many years of riding in America, and like when you ride when you're a bull rider, it's 
all consuming, like it's your entire life. That was your, that was your profession. And then you retire. What was that transition like? Well, the transition from being a bull rider, doesn't matter how good you are. If you are just a mediocre in a good sense and, or a champion, the transition is never easy because we go from Superman. We go from unbreakable, uh, unbendable, indestructible to ordinary human beings. And we're not used to be ordinary human beings when we're bull riders because we have to believe that we are invincible. And so waking up Monday after the day of my retirement, which was Sunday at the PBR finals, wasn't easy. You know, I woke up feeling weak because I was no longer Superman. How did that affect your identity? I had my identity crisis before that. I had my identity crisis back in 2003, I think, because I did not know if I was Adriano Silva Moraes, the kid from Brazil that rode bulls, or if I became Adriano Moraes, the bull rider, you know? And, and so I had my identity crisis then, and I figured out that bull riding was what I did, not who I am. Even though I'm a bull rider forever, but I'm more than that. I'm, I'm a person. I'm Adriano Silva Moraes, that kid born in a shack of dirt floor, no running water, no electricity. So that's me. And uh, so I didn't have identity crisis when I quit bull riding because I had, I had it before I quit. So after retiring from the PBR and from bull riding, what did you do next? Well, I stayed involved with the PBR. They uh, invited me to come back to Brazil to, or to go back to Brazil and uh, help run the PBR down there. I'm a shareholder of PBR Brazil. And so we decided to go back. And my family was still in America and I was flying back and forth. We got tired of that. So we moved back to Brazil for good, everybody. And, uh, and then I was already, I always, since 1994, I've been a bull rider instructor. I always put clinics on in different countries. And, and so I really like to do that because I really believe I can help. And I don't do it for the money. Of, of course, I don't, I don't do it for free, but it's not for the money. It's for my mission. My mission is to spread what I know about bull riding all over the world because it helped me escape poverty. It gave me uh, happiness. And that's what I wish everybody. It's not money, but it's happiness. And sometimes money helps. You know, escaping poverty, it was good. Uh, I don't know what would be of my mom and dad if it wasn't for me, because now they're older. They're not old, but they're older. And they have no profession still, like, like back then. But for the last 20 years, they live with me. They live at my ranch, not at my house. They've got their own house, like one kilometer from my house. And, uh, and my dad, he does whatever he wants to do. You know, I provide for him. I provide for my mom. My mom, she has a orchard, I think. An uh, orchard. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. And uh, a garden mm -hmm. where she grows fruits and vegetables. And we grow our own chicken, our own pork, lamb, beef. So life is good at the ranch. And they are there doing 
just what they love to do. And they don't have to work for no one. They don't even work for me. They work for themselves. Well, that didn't work. They just leave life. And I think that's the best way to do it. And uh, my dad, he has few milk cows that he milks by hand every day. And later on, yes, they do pasteurize that milk. <laughs> yes. But he milks by hand, send them to a place where they do all the other process. And uh, this should keep him busy. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end ag industry while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. So... What you just said about that you like to teach bull riding and teach other people how to ride bulls because of the opportunities to provide financial freedom. Do you think in addition to that financial freedom, there's also the opportunities for just for people to be, when you're good at something, it affects your self-confidence and your self-worth. Did bull riding do that for you as well, aside from the financial benefits? Yes, but I, but my approach to the students is always the money. Because if I tell them that's going to affect your self-esteem and stuff like that, well, I mean, we think like that, but we don't talk like that. Yeah. <laughs> we tough guys. <laughs> so I tell them that, uh, yes, I tell my my life story about being poor and now not as poor, you know, and uh, so I think it's more appealing to them that than, than the other. Because they'll get there anyway. I mean, when imagine when they, when you are eighty kilos and you you and you dominate a beast of like eight hundred kilos, that's something that not everybody can do, and those animals are big and dangerous. So every time you you make a whistle, every time you make the eight seconds, you feel like Superman. We are all Superman, and so that will come on time. I don't have to talk about it; they will feel it. So at the moment, you've just finished your third bull riding clinic in Broome, Western Australia. We're in the Kimberley region. And those are bull riding clinics that were put on by an organization called Saltwater Country, which tries to facilitate opportunities for Indigenous people through rodeo. Now, you've come a long way to be here. It was how many hours to fly here? It was just flying time, 26, 27 hours. And you've literally come to the outback of Western Australia it's not glamorous, it's not the PBR, it's not a professional rodeo, it's just out in the bush. What made you say yes to come for this this invitation to come all the way out here in the middle of nowhere? I think I would have come if it was white, white guys. Mm-hmm. But when they told me that was for Aboriginal, I was like, yes, I need to do it. Because I believe that the Aboriginal can relate to me more or I can relate to them more. Because my way of life, the way I've grown up. And the way Brazil is, you know, and give those guys this opportunity to, you know, maybe escape poverty. 
do better for themselves and uh, be more self-confident because like as as you ask me you know uh if i'm here to do that i'm not but to these aboriginal guys yes i'm here to tell them you are capable of you are strong enough you are smart enough you are good enough to be a bull rider it's not just for white people it's not for just brazilians or Canadians or Americans or white Australians. It is for you too. You strong enough and you intelligent enough. You know, because sometimes I think by watching documentaries, because your country is worldwide famous. Aboriginal people is worldwide famous. And uh, so we know not much, but a little about them. And uh, and they seem so quiet, so so depressed, you know, or or under pressure when they are among people that's not their own. And but I'm here to say, hey, see, I'm not white. I'm not you, but I'm not white. And I'm from Brazil. I'm a poor guy. A very poor guy that, that conquered the world. So you can do it too. And and even if they, they don't conquer the world, but just by being there with them, because they are they 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 are PBR fans, so they know Adrian Moraes, and to them Adrian Moraes is something special. But I was there with them, among them, just being one of them. I went I went hunting with them, you know, and I ate their food, I drink what they were drinking, you know. So that showed them that we are all the same. We are all the same. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter how you talk or how you smell or how you look or how you pray or if you don't pray at all. I mean, we are all the same. Behind our skin, if you if you peel everybody, we look just like. So we all the same, and that's why I'm here is to give them the opportunity to feel like yes, I can do it. I am just like him because yes, they are just like me. Same IQ, same physical capabilities, and if I did, they can do it too. Throughout the clinics, you gave the fellas a lot of advice um, to help them in the arena with the sport of bull riding, but you also gave them a lot of advice which they can take outside of the arena, you know, to use in everyday life. Um, what was some of the most important advice you think to in that in that when you have this opportunity to talk to these group of people? Um, what was the most important advice that you wanted to give them? Well, to me, the most important thing is tell them to be good people. You know, because that's what the world needs, good people. It's not hard to be good. To do good is not hard. You can do good anywhere, everywhere, anytime, every time. To do, to do wrong, you need to choose places. You need to be hiding. You can't do wrong stuff wide and open. But good you can. And why we don't? Why we don't do good? Because we can do that all the time. And that's what... And, 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 and so I think my... It's my obligation to be there and say, just be cool. Just be cool to everybody. Just be nice to everybody. Life is great. My biggest message is life is great. Life is a good thing. It might be bad now, but things are going to change. It's good come good times are coming. Well, bad times will come back. But you always go away. You know, at in at the end we will all 
see the light. We all be saved. We all be happy. So be happy now and help your others. Be strong when the bad times come. Just try to persevere. Never, ever give up. In whatever you do, don't you ever give up. Because humans are strong. How old are we? Thousands and thousands of years. Okay. How old are the aboriginals? They are even older. They are the oldest people. And they survive. Yes, you will survive. So just persevere. Hang on tight. And you'll, you'll make it. Out of all the bull riding clinics that you do, so you do regular ones, and then you've, I feel like the ones you put on this week are a little bit different because it is providing such a big opportunity to a group of people who are traditionally quite disadvantaged. Do you feel that that, does that give you purpose? Like what, now that I, I suppose when you were a bull rider, your purpose is, is as a bull rider and you're not a bull rider anymore. Did you have to find a new purpose in life? Uh, no, because I continue to be a bull rider. I just don't ride bulls, bulls. you know, so that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. And by being here is a continuation of okay. what I did. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm going to ride through them, but I'm passing all my knowledge. So I'm still a bull rider. I just mm-hmm. don't get on bulls. And, but it had a special purpose to come to Australia because of everything that the Aboriginal went through. And so if I could come here, and help one single person, I would be satisfied. And how many people were, were there? Not just the, the kids that were riding, but their parents and their relatives and their friends that I get to hang with and, uh, and show them that we are all the same. Because that's the main thing. They are not smaller than no one. They are not less valuable than no one. They're just people like me and you. And they, but they need to believe in that. It is people out there that treat them like they are not. And those people are wrong. They are wrong. They don't see the light. They don't see the beauty. They are so beautiful, just like me and you, with their different looks, their different languages, their different talk, their different culture. And that's what makes them so beautiful, you know, because they are not like me and you. So when you see people that are different, you need to look at them like, what opportunity to see somebody that's totally different from me and accept that person and then you'll be happy too because you have this opportunity. But if you are racist, if you just like people that are like you, you're missing so much in life. Because your love, like if you're a single man or a woman, who knows? You're like, you don't like black people, just for example. But what if the creator creates your soulmate black, but you're close to that? So you'll never find. And then you might marry 10 white people and never be satisfied. Because it was not made for you. But you close your mind, you close your heart, and you'll never find. Okay, it is one advice that will come from a different race or should be. The destiny was to do that. But you don't like other races. So that advice that might change your entire life will never come because you're close to it. So open yourself up for the differences. Because just because they are different than you, you're better than they are? No. 
And because they're different than you, for you aboriginals, just because they're different than you, it means that they're better than you are? No, we are all exactly the same. Different backgrounds, different beliefs, different social strategy or, or social, let's say, what's the word for it? Uh, makeups mm -hmm. or genetic makeups. Mm -hmm. We are all different, but we are all the same. We are created by the same forces and we all are going to die. Nobody live forever. And when we die, we are going to stink exactly the same. So just love each other, hug each other, just be open. Whites, blacks, purples, yellows, reds, or whatever <laughs> color you come in. Yeah. I mean, you're j we're just humans. How important do you think rodeo is in providing opportunities for people from disadvantaged backgrounds? I don't think rodeo is any different than, uh, than, than football, soccer, basketball, swimming, or any other sports. Opportunity is opportunity. Uh, do I love rodeos? Yes. But is rodeo the greatest sport of them all? No, I think they're all great. I think they're all great. I mean, so. We'll have to agree to disagree there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, yeah, I love the rodeos. I yeah. love bull riding. I love everything. But yes, rodeo will provide. Uh, tennis will provide. Mm -hmm. So I, I am a little like. Yeah, that's a fair call. Yeah, because some guys just go, yes, bro. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love rodeos, but other sports will provide too. So. But just having people come together in an organization like this to help those, to help these people have opportunities through rodeo or whatever it is or was or will be, is great. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm here with my sport, which is rodeo, uh, to help. Can you tell me about your favorite failure? or a time that you failed, or that you thought that you were failing or had failed, that has set you up for success later in life? I think when I had my uh, identity crisis, I think that's failure, and it was the best thing that happened, because I could uh, realize who I really am, because I was kind of lost, because I've been reading, at the time I had been reading books for so long that I thought I was, that I thought I was a bull rider, only, or first of all, bull rider, and wasn't true. I was first a person, same person that I was born with. <laughs> I didn't get another one, and uh, and then I realized that life goes on regardless of what, and I became myself, and that was the biggest and best failure in my life. I think. If you could have a giant billboard anywhere in the world that everybody would see and you could put any message on it, what message would you put on it? Be a good person. What is the most worthwhile investment that you have ever made? And this can be with your time, your money, or your energy. I believe my biggest investment is when I'm, when I'm with people. Start with my family, of course, and then with my students. Because I learned so much from them. And I believe that we, we exchange a lot of experiences. So time with people, it is my biggest investment. 
And how do you define the quality of time? Because you can spend a lot of time with somebody and not be present. And so that might not be a worthwhile investment. So, Well, I'm present every time when I'm with someone. I'm, I'm with someone. I'm there talking to them. I'm trying to look at their eyes and, and understand what, like, try to figure it out. I'm, I'm out there looking at their eyes and trying to figure it out what's going on in their lives, in their soul, in their spirit, and try to figure it out. How can I help this person? How can I make this person feel better? Or how can I help this person solve a problem? If it is any problem in there, if it is any problem in there, but just look, at, look in the eyes and, and the people can see that you are there for them. What is the best piece of advice that has ever been given to you and who gave it? I can't answer that because I received so many good advices from so many people that I can't number or I cannot even remember one. No, because I'm always listening. I'm always open. And people, thanks Lord, that they come to me and tell me things that I try to implement in my life and so I get advices all the time. So what what is the best advice that you can give to anybody that is perhaps from um, they're in hard circumstances or they've had a disadvantage in life so far? What is the best advice you can give to someone? The past is gone. Past time. The past is gone. The past is gone. So live the present. And fight for the future. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do to bring yourself back? Oh, I rely on prayer. I'm Catholic, I'm Christian. Uh, so I rely on prayer. Every time that I am scared, I pray. Every time I'm anxious, I pray. And so prayer to me, it's my strength. Today's episode is sponsored by Dunnings Fuel. Dunnings operate their fleet of trucks 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. On a daily basis, Dunnings have trucks operating right across Western Australia. Dunnings keeps the whole state running. So, to finish up, a lot of the people, a lot of your fans and people who know who you are, they know you because they've watched you in the PBR and they watch you on YouTube and they've seen your interviews and they've maybe seen you on the Netflix documentary Fearless. So they know you as Adriano, the bull rider. But you are so much more than a bull rider. If you could tell people one thing about yourself or one message as Adriano the person, not Adriano the bull rider, what would it be? Oh, they would be disappointed. <laughs> I don't think because so. they would see people that know me know how fragile I am, know how sensitive I am, and know how scared I am. Scared, scared I am. I am not a superman that everybody thinks I am. I cry a lot. I have physical pain, mental pain, spiritual pain. pain. I'm just a human. And as I said, I'm a very fragile human. I'm not as powerful as people might think. And so someone might get disappointed Someone else can relate to it, but I'm not Superman. 
I think it's very important for people to know what you've just said, that you're not Superman and to know that the people we idolize are people just like us and we all have... Or sometimes more more problematic that you are. Yeah, and that they have just as much pain in their life as we have in ours or the opportunity for pain. Yes, because just because you have notoriety and a little bit money doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean life is harsh and hard for everyone. Harder for some people. But it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to go through hard times. Physical, mental, uh, spiritual, financial, especially financial. And, uh, but that's I think, is the least important one. And uh, yes, we are fragile. Thank you so much for being so honest and candid on the podcast, Adriano. Thank you very much. I can't lie. So I would love to be out there with all these people that listen to me and just give them a hug and say, hi, I'm Adrian Moraes. It's nice to meet you. Obrigado. De nada. There are currently over 1,100 compelling true stories on centralstation.net.au, which will open your eyes to what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. There are yarns from station managers, ringers, cooks, govies, pilots, vets, and more, told with humor, self-deprecation, and pride in a job well done. There are tales of working in stock camps, mustering cattle, and how education and socialization works in some of the most remote parts of Australia. There's stories about the wonder of living in an amazing landscape, but also the perils that come with flood, fire, and drought. And there's stories about the inherent danger of living in isolation, including times when the flying doctor has come to the rescue. These stories paint a vivid picture of outback life, the good, the bad, and the dusty.